When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hey, Coffee Pod. <laughs> I still, I'm getting used to saying the name, but I do like it. It feels right. Um, you know, one time I heard Steve Harvey giving advice. I think it was like a viral clip that went live of like a show. I don't know if he still has a show or if he had a show, but it like was like a talk show and he was on and someone asked him advice. He was like, I could go anywhere in the world. Where should I go? And Steve Harvey said to drive from Knoxville, Tennessee to Asheville, North Carolina, because it's the most beautiful drive in the entire world. And I I'm not inclined to disagree. We just drove from Asheville to Sewanee, Tennessee, and then from Sewanee back home to Asheville, North Carolina. And basically Sewanee is like past Chattanooga. And so it was like an hour to Chattanooga. This is on our way back, an hour to Chattanooga, two hours to Knoxville, and then two hours back to Asheville. And this, I'm telling you, This is one of the most beautiful drives I have ever seen in my entire life. I have, I went on a road trip that lasted nearly a year to all the 48 continental states. I have done some of the most beautiful drives in our country. And there there are certain ones that just really stand out, you know, like Highway 1 in California, the Colorado National, the, is it the National Monument in Colorado? What's it called? Colorado Monument? Ugh, I'm, I'm, I'm really messing that up. But there's a drive in Colorado that's really beautiful. And this is one of those drives. If you ever come to Asheville or go to Knoxville and can make this drive, I highly encourage it. And honestly, from Knoxville to Chattanooga as well, and from Chattanooga to Suwannee, oh my gosh. Just green and rock faces and tons of like water and lakes. It, it was just magical and I'm really grateful for it. So that's what we are kind of coming off of. But on the podcast today, in other news, we're talking about childhood wounds. So that's a very, that's pretty intense shift there from, <laughs> I went on a pretty drive and let's talk about childhood wounds. But <laughs> particularly, I want to talk about it from the parent's perspective, because honestly, every single time I talk about the childhood wounds of the Enneagram, I kind of get the same question or a similar statement, like, how do I not screw up my kid? Or I, I don't want to create a childhood wound in my child, you know, these sort of things. So I want to dive into that a little bit Um, and start with, you know, how are the wounds created? This is one of the most common questions I get 
in general is like how is your Enneagram type formed and when it comes to the childhood wound there's a lot of you know there's multiple th- schools of thought there's the thought that you are born with your Enneagram type there's the thought that your Enneagram type is created through your childhood woundings I'm of the belief that we kind of are born with a sensitivity we're kind of naturally inclined to be a little bit tender around the areas of our Enneagram type but then we find evidence as life goes on that that fear is validated and that is the childhood wound that we're experiencing for example as a seven I might have come into the world thinking I can only rely on myself and then through having a childhood where and for me I have a pretty direct like neglect wound <laughs> so um, it's a little more obvious but a lot of times you know you come from a family where everybody you know you it's mostly average but still you can find areas where you receive the message that you have to take care of yourself so I'm yeah I'm inclined to believe just like with nature versus nurture in general it's a combination it's some form of the two of those two things kind of coming together and the other thing to keep in mind here is is another theory right we have the nature theory the nurture theory and then we have what we call the soul child theory which is made popular by Sandra Maitri and she talks about how you know the number we go to in rest is our soul child it's like who we were born as so for i'll use seven for an example let's say i was born as a little five and then as life comes comes at me as things occur i learn to protect myself through the seven defense mechanisms now listen i know what i said i know i said i think we're born with a sensitivity and we look for evidence of it i know but also I kind of believe in this (laughs) so I also kind of am open to the concept of this I mean it feels dead accurate for myself it feels dead accurate for my husband and I know a lot of people who really resonate with theirs and I think that that's essentially the amount that we can do at this point with this kind of thing it's it's there's not really provable you know so we can look for patterns we can look for if it resonates but that's kind of the most we can do so i'm a big fan of the soul child theory i have a podcast episode on it i also am doing an instagram series on it this week so if you guys want to check that out um to see yours it's at sarah jane case um it's a light touch the podcast goes much deeper that being said This is another way to experience the childhood wound, right? Do we put on our Enneagram type as our defense mechanism to that childhood wound? Then we have, you know, it's coping mechanisms. (laughs) Like there are all these different ways, right? Our, Our Enneagram type is also just our coping mechanisms at the end of the day. It's how we've protected ourselves. It's how we survived. And that's why it's sometimes really hard to unwind and to undo because I mean, it's helped up to this point. And to some degree, it will always help us. There's always some sort of strength in our Enneagram type. It's the groove we found of which where we fit into the world and how we show up. It's what we've, we're needed for, quote unquote. And right, as we know, coping mechanisms when used at the wrong time or to an intense degree don't always serve us. And so we have to 
learn to soften those coping mechanisms, put them in our pocket. My therapist, I've talked to you about this before, but my therapist always says that gets to be plan B. Like plan A is like ask for help, trust that other people can be there for you. And then like your intense self-reliance, like that can be plan B. You know how to do that. It's always there. And I think that's kind of the work with the Enneagram, right? It's like, it's, it's how we survive. It'll probably always be there and we can eventually learn new ways to approach things and when to actually pull out when pull out our coping mechanisms when we truly need them. So that being said, <laughs> nature and nurture, protective mechanisms, coping mechanisms, can we prevent wounds from forming in our children? Right? Like can I guarantee that my child does not ever form an Enneagram type in response to the pain I may cause them? I think the obvious answer is no. We will always, like no matter how good of a parent we are, we're going to screw up. Our child is going to have something that we did or said that creates pain for them that that's just part of growing up that's part of life that's part of the really healthy separation process so how do we own this that our kid will have likely an enneagram type likely formed by their relationship to us and mitigate the amount of harm that we're doing right if we're going to screw up anyway how do we mitigate the harm that's done so I'm going to give you what I know based off of my research. Um, and we're going to all be on this journey together, right? I don't think any of us will ever perfect it. I think we're all just going to try our best. So how do you mitigate harm? First is radical self-responsibility. This is the number one complaint that I hear from adult children who want to have relationships to their parents is the lack of the parent's self-responsibility, their fear of having made mistakes, preventing them from actually owning those mistakes and apologizing. And if you think about the relationships in your life that are safest and healthiest, often it comes from partnerships with people who have a sense of radical self-responsibility. They aren't, they know how to apologize. They don't take it personally that they hurt you. And they are ultimately in charge of themselves, right? So this helps us to not overly rely on our children for emotional support. It also allows us to be in integrity with repair and actually maintaining our relationship with our children versus just wanting them to fall in line. Second, don't pass on your wounds. We're obviously going to pass on our wounds to a degree, but like working really, really, really hard <laughs> to not pass on your wounds through therapy, through Enneagram work, through coaching, through emotional regulation, through learning what you need to do to not project your wounds on to your children, right? I think this is really helpful with the Enneagram because oftentimes we, if we think about it through the lens of, I limit in myself what I think I'm not allowed to be, and then I tend to project those limitations onto others. So I'm gonna go through the numbers really quick and just kind of give you a taste of what that can look like. So type ones limit imperfection in themselves and therefore they limit imperfection in others. 
choose limit selfishness in themselves and need within themselves, and so therefore they limit self selfishness and need in others. Threes limit failure and stagnation in themselves, and then therefore they limit failure and stagnation in others. Fours limit being average or mundane in themselves, and so therefore they limit that in others. Fives limit the amount of energy that they expend and how, you know, the amount of action they're allowed to take, and therefore they limit that in others. Sixes limit the amount of self-trust that they have, and therefore they may limit that in others. You know, um, an example of that being if, if I tell you I have this dream, sixes have the tendency to kind of like bring it down and say, well, did you think through this, 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 and this? And because they're kind of limiting the daydreaming, right? Because they limit it in themselves. They limit risk, so they want to limit risk for you. Type sevens limit their ability to feel negative emotions, and therefore we limit it in others. Type eights limit weakness in themselves, and therefore limit it in others. Nines limit um, having strong personal preferences and opinions in themselves, and therefore they limit it in others. That being said, we're most likely to do that with our children. We're most likely to limit our children the ways that we limit ourselves. So if we can like pause and check ourselves when we feel this like, you know, type sixes feel the urge to kind of bring them back to reality. Type ones when you feel this urge to kind of consistently improve. Type fours when you feel disappointed that your kid's into something that you find mundane or average. Type sevens when your kid's having negative emotions. Type five when your kid's like not done their research. You know, recognizing like, oh, this is actually just the pressure I put on myself that's getting carried over onto my children. That being said, the same thing goes for your relationship to your parents and what you carried on from them and how you're putting it on to your children as well. And oftentimes, right, we overcorrect. Um, we try not to parent the way that we were parented to a degree where we overcompensate or we accidentally parent with our parents' voices in our head. And I don't know if any other parents have felt this, but I feel this. You know, it's not necessarily my mom's voice in my head because my mom was more of a permissive parent, which we'll talk about in a minute. But I have my in-laws' voice in my head of like what I should do and how my kids should act. And I have to check myself and be like, whoa, that is not me. That's someone else's voice. And um, I know my husband falls into this where all of a sudden we're feeling really strict about something that actually neither of us care about at all because we think that's what like we're quote unquote supposed to do or how we're supposed to parent. And we have to catch ourselves and be like, that's actually not who we are, not the relationship we want with our kid. And we need to like pull back and really get back into our bodies and parent from our ourselves and our integrity. Um, but then again, like, and we'll talk about this. Well, yeah, I think at the same time, we think about we build on what our parents gave us. And my friend Hillary wrote a book called Mothers, Daughters, and Body Image. And in that book, she talks about how we kind of climb onto the shoulders of our parents, our, our moms, and we build onto a relationship to our bodies based off of what we were given. Like my grandma's relationship to her body was way worse than my mom's. My mom's is way worse than mine. And hopefully my kids will be 
way better than mine, right? And we just kind of build on what we've been given. So that's the same thing with parenting, right? We're given a certain kind of parent and we do our best to make improvements based off of what didn't work for us. Like my mom had an overbearing, critical and controlling parent and she corrected by being supportive and hands-off, which for me was to the point of neglect, right? So I course corrected by trying to create a container for my kid so that like there's some structure, but they also feel unconditionally loved. But there will be things that I do that they realize later didn't work for them and then they will improve upon that and so on and so forth. And I think we're doing that even generationally, right? Like what worked for our parents isn't working for us as parents. What worked for my grandparents is didn't work for our parents. And we're just learning and improving and getting better along the way. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, (sighs) well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to download the new Bumble now. Additionally, you know, pay attention to the space between permissive parenting and authoritarian parenting. We want to be right in the middle of those two things in the authoritative position. So permissive parenting is basically like I don't have any rules, any expectations, or I have very low rules, very low expectations. Authoritarian is like do what I say when I say it, (laughs) as I say it right now. Um, Oftentimes they use things like spanking or physical abuse to get that point across. Authoritative parenting is in the middle of those two things where it's like I prioritize the relationship I have to my child, they know that you are unconditionally loved, and we still have expectations and consequences. Now um, we've done a whole parenting series on the podcast, so if you're interested in learning more about these, I have so many parenting episodes. Um, I need to create like a catalog on my website so whenever we move over to Squarespace I will work on this where I can like categorize of like parenting episodes and etc but for right now honestly how I find these episodes is googling Enneagram and Coffee authoritative (laughs) and then the episodes tend to pop up so just so you know that's that's kind of how I find those episodes because I know there's just such a backlog of content that it can be hard to sift through. All of that to say, we want to find that space in the authoritative realm where we have expectations, there are consequences, but ultimately we prioritize the unconditional loving relationship with our children. Um, At the end of the day though, I know we're all going to do the best we can. And Oftentimes, you know, when we go back to that self-responsibility, oftentimes people who lack self-responsibility and who struggle to apologize use that phrase as a weapon. I do the the best I could. Um, And it's a conversation ender, right? Because what they're really trying to do is not take responsibility. They're trying to push that responsibility off and to not have to live with remorse or regret. And I totally get that remorse and regret suck to feel (laughs) and you kind of just want to move on. 
But actually the way to a relationship is through, is to say, yeah, there are things I would do differently. If I were parenting now, I've learned from that. And maybe you did the best you could at the time, right? You had a certain amount of information, a certain amount of tools, and you did the way you could with what you were given and you built on what you were given, but maybe that wasn't a lot and that's okay. But the thing I wanna ask, especially if you're a parent of an adult child, is are you doing the best you can now by making amends and apologizing? Have you, like if you, cause right now, right, I'm saying, hey, it's important to be self-reliant and to apologize if you want a relationship with your kids. If you're hearing that, you now know. So the best you can is from that place of knowledge that that is the way. So can you do it? Can you do the best you can now? Because parenting doesn't end when our kids turn 18, right? That relationship will be important for the rest of both of your lives. So can you take the time and do the best you can now, apologize and make amends? And that apology, that self-responsibility starts from birth with our kids, right? Like apologizing sooner than later, being willing to apologize as a parent, being willing to admit that you don't know everything, that you are wrong sometimes, and that you're getting better and that you are willing to learn from them about how they are loved best. Because at the end of the day, we are going to mess this up. But the least we can do is acknowledge where we did and make amends where we can. There's actually research that shows us what sort of parenting does help to do less harm, but not only less harm, actually helping your children to thrive. And the term for that is connection parenting. It's prioritizing your relationship to your child above everything else. Not about fixing them, turning them into who you think they're supposed to be, teaching them the ways of the world, rather prioritizing their awareness that you love them for exactly who they are. In fact, there's a study that has found that children with strong family connections are more likely to thrive in life. The study was done by researchers at Columbia University. They surveyed children from across Europe, Africa, Asia, and South America, and they found that the children who felt loved, supported, safe, respected, and involved in their families were more likely to have high self-esteem, positive relationships with others, and a sense of purpose in life. They were also less likely to engage in risky behaviors like drug use and delinquency. Now, the researchers believe that strong family connections provided these children with the foundation that they needed to succeed in life. When children feel loved and supported by their families, they are more likely to feel confident and capable. They're also more likely to have a positive role models to look up to and to learn from. And I think this is an interesting thing that we learned from our parents' generation, my parents' generation, is the, the phrase respect is earned, right? but how often that's used for children and not used for parents. How parents, without having to earn respect, demand respect from their children, but then offer no trust, no respect to their child without it being earned from them. And actually one of the key things here is that the child feels respected and that the parent 
is able to learn from and show respect and trust for the child, right? That that is like a reciprocal experience. In the study, family connection was determined by a mean score from five different categories. It's care. Because I think, I want to say real quick, I think sometimes we think, oh, I have a strong family unit because we, we see each other all the time, because they call me, because we have Sunday dinners. But that's not how they measured this. They measured it through care, support, safety, respect, and participation. So for each subject, participants were given a statement and asked to assess how much they agreed with it, scoring from zero to four. So for example, to measure care, children were asked how much they agreed with the statement, I feel safe at home. The essence of family connection is children feeling that they are accepted and nurtured at home, which allows them to learn what their strengths and weaknesses are in a safe environment as they are building their identity. Flourishing, right, because we said like it's not just doing less harm, it's about helping them to thrive. So how did we how did they determine what thrive means? They did six categories again: self-acceptance, purpose in life, positive relations with others, personal growth, environmental mastery, and autonomy. And in the same way, they surveyed as if they did the family connections, but the the ranking here was from zero to ten. And when it came to flourishing, it's about kids accepting their strengths and weaknesses and then being able to use their strengths to find their purpose. So they measured these two things in relation to one another and they found that the parents who showed the most love, acceptance, care, support, and respect had children who flourished in their relationships, their autonomy, and their ability to handle what life offered them. So all of that to say, you will make mistakes, but you can have the best chance of supporting your child and thriving by prioritizing the relationship that you have with them through care and respect for who they are, support, participation, and physical and emotional safety through your radical self-responsibility and genuine seeking to understand. So yes, we will create our child's Enneagram type. It's inevitable. Yet, we can still support them in their ability to flourish by continuously showing love, care, respect, remaining engaged and curious, participating in their life and offering them support when they need it. We're going to end today with a quote from Karen Purvis, the author of The Connected Parent, Real Life Strategies for Building Trust and Attachment. And the quote says, misbehavior is the expression of an unmet need. If a child needs nurture and I give him structure, I harm his ability to trust me. If a child needs structure and I give him nurture, I harm his ability to grow. Nurture and structure must be used hand in hand. As always, it is an absolute joy to create this content for you. And I will see you Friday for the next one. Seeking the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.